0: You're either cycling, ovulating, or waiting for a new cycle. And it just was like time was in slow motion, but flying all at the same time because we were monitoring every day. And it was like we were always waiting for Christmas.
1: Hey, Mama. What do you think of when you hear the word success? Fame, status, and fortune? What about rocking your baby to sleep or coaching Little league? advocating for your special needs child, or mastering meal planning, maybe going back to school or starting your own business. The truth is success looks different for us all, and it may change depending on the season of life you're in. After finding myself in a dark place, I decided to set an example for my two boys by intentionally choosing what I wanted for my life and seeking it, even if it was scary. And now I'm so excited to bring you stories of other moms who are living out their version of success. I plan to ask these incredible women not only about their journeys, but how they are making it through the madness and the magic that we all know as motherhood. So whether your assistant just brought you a hot espresso or you're rocking your baby on a third cup of reheated coffee, settle in and get ready for some goodness. I'm Shannon Carruthers, and this is the Successful Mama Podcast. Hey there, Mama, and welcome to this week's episode of the Successful Mama Podcast, I'm your host, Shannon Carruthers. I am a habit and success coach for moms, and I'm really glad you're here. I also have the opportunity and the pleasure to host this podcast each week and interview moms who are living out their version of what it means to be successful in their lives. I get to hear their stories and let them share the highs, the lows, all the, and all the in-between, and this week is no different Our guest is very near and dear to my heart. Her name is Allison Moody, and she and I go way back to childhood, in fact, because we met at church camp. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you may remember the story of where I went to church camp. I met a boy. Later, he ended up being best friends with my husband, and that's our history. Each and every summer, I went to this camp, and I looked forward to it so much, and Allison is a friend from there. And it's really funny because now we live super close, like 30 seconds away. We can throw a rock at each other's house. And it's just funny how all those things seem to work out. Small world, right? But let me tell you a little bit about Allison and her story. So you may have noticed in the title that this is part one of this episode. Now, we've not done any two-part episodes before. This is the first. But Allison and I spent a long time together in our conversation. And she shared a lot And after a lot of deliberation, I decided this was the best way to share it with all of you because I wanna tell you it is a heavy subject. We are talking this week about infertility. And next week, I just wanna go ahead and give you the warning. We're gonna be talking about infant loss. And so I want you to use your discretion, especially if you've got kiddos around or this is a particularly sensitive subject for you. I just want you to be aware of what is to come. But Allison was so vulnerable and open, and I so appreciate the way that she shared not only her own emotions, but how the people around her supported her and affected her in the best ways. And I don't know about you, but that was super helpful to me because it gave me a better understanding of how can I support people when they're hurting? How can I reach out to them when I don't know what to say? So, with that, I hope you will get ready for our very first two part episode.
0: So, let's go ahead and get started. Allison, why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell everybody a little bit about you. My name is Allison, and I'm a teacher. I teach fourth grade math. And, you know, we live in Madison and we go to Mayfair Church of Christ. And, you know, we live a pretty, pretty easy life hanging out with the kids, Alabama football, basketball, gymnastics, all the sports. Roll Tide.
1: There you go. Roll Tide. <laughs> you got to end it with Roll Tide. That's like stereotypical. If you're listening and you're not from Alabama, I mean, you know, like the track record there. But like, that's how you greet people here. A lot
0: of times people just say Roll Tide.
1: Roll There's tide. so many
0: people in our neighborhood that are transplants who work out on the arsenal. Uh-huh. And we're like, "Are you Alabama or Auburn, have you picked yet? And our next door neighbor chose wisely. Okay. So because he noticed that a man at a bar in a restaurant that he was at one time did, had on an Auburn hat and he felt like he was getting no service, so he chose <laughs> he chose to be an Alabama fan.
1: What True a reason, story! What a reason to choose Alabama. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, so Allison, let's get into your story. Um, you want to go back and just start with a little overview of childhood and talk us into your first first baby?
0: Sure. Um, so I was raised in North Alabama and very, um, you know, very stereotypical American life. My parents you know, worked, we went to church, um, went to church camp, obviously. Um, And then when I graduated high school, went to college, and I flip flopped about 100 times between nursing and elementary education as my major, and ended up graduating um, elementary education. And so I met my husband in college, and we got married. And right after college, we were 22 and 23. So looking back, we were babies. Um, and three or four years into our marriage decided we would have a child. And, um, it was without going into too much detail, it was not very complicated. We decided to have a baby two months later, we were pregnant and, um, and his name is Declan. He's now eight. So he was born in 2015 and everything, you know, delivery, you know, pregnancy, everything textbook. And you know, we had our little life, and then in 2018, we decided to have another. And that's kind of where our story takes a a major turn. Yeah. So um, so before we get into that,
1: I'm just curious, did you um, did you stay home with Declan? Did you work during this time frame? Other than maternity leaves? I've never not been a working mom. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, and so, with that, let's let's kind of move into, tell us what happens next.
0: So February of 2018, as a lot of families, you know, I'd kind of for six months or so been like, you know, maybe we could have another. And so in February of that year, my husband decided he was on board. And um, in fall of that year, we found out we were pregnant. So it took quite a bit longer than with Declan, but still within normal reason, And, um, not much later, about seven weeks, um, we had an early miscarriage. And so went to the doctor, you know, spoke with her and, you know, she told me she was very supportive, but told me, you know, we can, when you're ready, you can try again. And there's no reason to think that anything is wrong or that this is going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So, um, we started trying again, but with, just with no success, and so I went back to my OB. She immediately just said, "I'm happy to refer you to a specialist if you would like to, especially with the miscarriage being in your history." Right. So we went to a um, infertility specialist here in Huntsville, and he just started with, "Let's do some monitoring." You know. And um, we did hit that year mark with him. And that was kind of when we hit the point of, okay, like we need to take some other route um, because this is not working. And we were diagnosed as unexplained secondary infertility. So never could like put their thumb on a true diagnosis. It was just, I'm not really sure why everything looks great and then secondary because we had previously had a child. Okay, I see. And and tell me
1: during that time frame, were you were you hopeful? Were you
0: I mean, what what were you feeling during that time frame? Um, that's actually a great question because hopeful, yes. But my true feelings were that I felt like I was missing Declan's like childhood years because every month was you know you're either cycling ovulating or waiting to for any cycle and it just was like time was in slow motion but flying all at the same time because we were monitoring every day and it was like we were always waiting for Christmas and so I would constantly have to remind myself like don't don't miss the three-year-old or the four-year-old or this was not a short process for us. So, you know, whatever age he was, like, make sure that I'm not getting up every day, just wishing this cycle didn't work. Let's wish for the next one to start. Um, so I was always hopeful. I did hit a point where I was terrified that this wasn't going to happen for us, but I also, knew we had no true diagnosis and at this point we had done no actual medical intervention mm-hmm. and I knew of people who had babies who were told they never would even through medical intervention so I was in denial that we might need that intervention but I also was hopeful that if we you know if we needed to get there we could we eventually, Um, decided to do an IUI, which is an an in-office procedure where they take the male specimen and inject it into the female for you. But they're not taking anything out. It's not in vitro. Essentially, the goal is you're going to do blood work every day. We're going to call you. Come into the office now. We're going to inject this for you. It was... It was a fun time um, going to work, had a male principal at the time. He was very supportive, but he did not want all the information. (laughs) Right. We went through five of those cycles. After three, my doctor sat down with me, you know, the ball's in your court. After three, we don't generally see success from an IUI. But once again, we had no diagnosis. We had no understanding why I wasn't getting pregnant. And so we opted to do two more rounds of IUI. And then finally, I guess I just needed some time, came to terms with the fact that IVF is where we were going to land. My husband was very supportive of whatever choice I made. But I was afraid to go down that path because it that was it, like short of, adoption, or maybe surrogacy. That was, that was the last route of like me carrying our biological child. So before you move into the next part,
1: I'm curious to know, he was leaving that decision to you. I'm sure you guys, you know, talked about it, but he was giving you the option there. Did you have a close friend? Did you have anybody that you were sharing this with to lean on? Or was this all you?
0: So like we weren't super open with what we were going through. Our parents did not even know. Oh, really? Um, you will start to learn, even as our story gets deeper, that um I have a few very close friends who knew every step of the way. That um one of them at the time was actually a coworker of mine. My co workers, and when I say my coworkers, the people teaching on my grade level. Okay. So there was really no not telling them because I was in and out of work so much. Right. Where my parents didn't see me in and out of work. His parents don't live here. So Mm -hmm. they didn't see that. Um, But I think some of it, we weren't not telling our families because we didn't want them to know as much as, I think we just felt like we could protect anyone that we could from it. I understand that. You know, so there were, I had my coworkers who those were the people that I was seeing on a daily basis. Those were the people who, you know, they knew Um, I changed jobs. I was working in a public school um, and I moved. I'm currently in a private school and um, I moved to that school and um, it was after my fifth IUI had happened. And um, so the school is Madison Academy. It's a great school. Um, so I was in the process of changing jobs in the middle of the school year. And for anybody who's familiar with education, that's just not, you don't do that. That's, you know, stressful. Um, but there was a position that popped up and it was fourth grade math, which is exactly what I was currently teaching. And I knew that down the road I wanted to end up in that school. I loved that school and our churches you know, has a lot of overlap with it. And I wanted my children there. So I was in the interview with my principal who at who would be my principal at this new job. And while I was headed out the door, I just said, I feel like I should be honest with you. Um, and she was like, okay, probably thinking what in the world is she about to tell me? And, um, I told her, I said, this was November. I said, in January, we are starting the process for IVF. And I would have started in January. And um, I just, you know, burst into tears. And I had really been resisting this job change, even though it felt like a fantastic opportunity. It just, I don't like change. And I really don't like change in the middle of a school year. Mm -hmm. So I had really been resisting it. And you know, she hugged me and she just said, you know, Allison, you're going to learn very quickly that we are very different around here and we're not going to worry about things like that. You're going to be supported and that's not going to affect if I hire you for this job or not. And I got in the car and I called my husband and I said, well, I think God really wants me to take this job. And he was like, y- You think? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the grade you teach, it's the subject you teach. Like, we had just moved to Madison in January of that year. Like, all the pieces were falling into place. And I told him what had just happened. And he was like, I 100% think you're correct. Um, if you're familiar with the hub's full location, Madison Academy is kind of between Huntsville and Madison, and the doctor's office I go to is on Hughes Road in Madison. So three-minute drive. Super close. So, and I was working in a different city. So running to the doctors during the day was taking, I was having to leave work and not come back, where in the new location, I literally could run over there, do what I need to do, and be back at work in 45 minutes. Wow. Meant to be absolutely like we uh, still there my child's still there like no looking back on that that's awesome all right so then
1: you guys make the decision to start IVF or you've already made that decision but
0: then the time comes so if you're unfamiliar with um IVF you can't just up and do it um you have to call the doctor's office you know we want to do it and they will tell you you know you can do it on our next cycle, at least in my experience, when I called and told them that I wanted to do IVF. So this was in December, so they said I could start in January. They put me on a um, a birth control pill, but they had me take just the middle week like, over and over again, and it basically just kept my body in mid-cycle. No ovulation, no period. How did that How did that
1: feel? Because I know, I mean, as we go through our cycles, we go through different emotions and feelings and tiredness and levels of, you know, creativity even. How did that, did you notice a difference in the way you felt based on staying in that mode of your cycle?
0: I did not. Um, so you have, like, week one, week two, week three, week four, right, of your cycle, mm-hmm. The birth control pill kind of keeps you at week two, so you're not on your period but you haven't ovulated yet right. which is if you track your cycles and you work out, you probably notice that's when your workouts are a little bit easier that's a good week a little bit right so um to be there for a little bit was was okay with me, yeah, okay, so you guys continue on this journey, find yes. out you're pregnant at how how long did it take to so. Um, I started this job January, and I also started medication for IVF in January. And um, we went through the whole thing of medications and injections at home and doing the retrieval, and um, everything was fantastic. If you've ever – I've watched so many TV shows that inaccurately portray IVF and infertility but if anybody watches the show this is us and Kate giving herself shots in a bathroom at a restaurant I've told 100 people like that show hit the nail on the head I remember one night giving myself a shot in the bathroom at taco mama I gave myself a shot in the bathroom one time at an Alabama gymnastics meet like and it was all fine like it was um it wasn't like Every night I had to do that was an emo- Like it just was what we were doing at the moment. Right. But just I just like to call out that show because if you want to see what it's a show that actually portrays it correctly and not just oh my goodness we're pregnant, right? And, um, they hit the nail on the head. Um. So we went through all of that and um, you know, have this new job and they did the retrieval, which is if you're unfamiliar, they are giving you this medication to basically put your body in overdrive so that your body not produces one or two eggs but produces like 20. And then they monitor them and when they are mature, they basically put you to sleep and take them out. Um, And then they will use a specimen from my husband to um, fertilize all of them. So, After all was said and done, we ended up with six frozen embryos of good quality, which is um, a fantastic number. We did not want six children. We already had one, so we did not want seven children. Um, So we were very happy with that number. They froze all six of mine, let me come off the medicine. And basically, when my body was naturally ready to ovulate on its own, you know, transferred an embryo and hoped that it would um, attach. So this was February of 2020. Probably a timeline that's very triggering to everyone out there. So um, it worked but didn't work. Um, So are you familiar with the term chemical pregnancy? I am not. I am going to be very honest. I don't know enough medically about them to know if it's even a true pregnancy or if there's just enough of the HCG, which is basically the pregnancy right. hormone in your body that your body thinks it's pregnant, but it never really was. So a, a miscarriage would be labeled a chemical pregnancy if basically if you never miss your period, you got a positive test, but your period started on day 28. If that, see. that makes sense. Um, So once you miss that period, then, you know becomes more of a you know what they would call a a miscarriage um i'm very careful with those words because the day you get a positive test you have hopes and dreams and it doesn't matter of course how long it took to happen or what the term is that they use so um it was i had a positive pregnancy test at home um that's an a big no-no in ivf land um the IVF doctor very much wants you to wait and let them do blood work. Um, but I got one and it was great. But the line wasn't getting darker, which um, the higher the pregnancy hormone gets, the darker the line gets. Right. And um, I went and went for my blood work, you know, and they were like, oh, great. You know, you have it's positive. But. They did blood work every 48 hours, and they want that number doubling. So if it's like 20, the next time they want it to be 40, right. and then 80, and then so on. Um, that's an important detail in my story down the road. <laughs> um, so I it I went in two days later, and I told the nurse, you have the same nurse with IVF assigned to you, and they follow you. And mine's name was Autumn. Um, but she uh, did not – seemed to have, you know, concerns, but I was like, this is not, this is, I'm not pregnant. Like I've been pregnant before. And, um, you know, I know, and she called me later that day and she said, you know, the numbers, they're a little bit higher, but they haven't doubled. So um, she was like, based on the way you're feeling and things, you know, this is probably a chemical pregnancy, which we were devastated But we also were aware going into it. Um, And I wish people talked about this a little bit more because I think women going through this need to know it. The vast majority of people who go through IVF, the first transfer is not going to work. And a lot of doctors are not very open about this. I don't think they're they're hiding it. I think they just don't want to start with that. Um I don't disagree with them not being an open book about that, but I also like am thankful that I kind of knew that right but I knew that from a community, not from sitting down with my doctor and mm-hmm. them telling me that so did you join like a Facebook community or something like that, or it was okay, so anybody who has the what to expect app mm-hmm. uh, like or the like forum. So I get their emails. One day in my email it just really stood out to me. A girl had made a post, you know, I would really like to make a secret Facebook group of people who have been trying to conceive for a while. And um she posted the link and I clicked on it and requested to join and there was like twelve of us in there. It was very small. And um, you know, after a month or so she locked it and the 12 of us just kind of went through that together. And I can happily report almost everyone in that group um, has had a baby since it was created. That's awesome.
1: And I'm curious to ask you, too, in that time frame, you know, you talked about at the beginning with your miscarriage, not having as much community versus right. this time frame, having a group of women who are also experiencing the same things that you were was was that helpful to you? what was the difference there in your I don't There know.
0: were huge differences. I am very fortunate that we did have the one miscarriage and then we did have the chemical, which felt completely different just because it was so in the doctor's office, you right. know um, but the first one um I, it was hard. it was very hard. I also in some ways, think I was a little um like naive because we had gotten pregnant so easily before and just felt like this is going to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, I had no idea why we were experiencing what we were. I didn't know, you know, why like we were praying about all of these things. And I did not understand why our prayers did not seem to be answered the way we wanted them to. Um, I was So I was kind of in a place at that point where as hard as it was, I was so focused on moving forward and trying again, where at this point where we're going through IUIs and then eventually IVF, so many questions, so many um, thoughts and emotions that it was nice to be able to say those thoughts but not have to explain them yes like just you know they just get it and you don't feel like they're tilting their head at you like what you know they just understand Mm -hmm. and but then also questions like hey my husband has given me a progesterone shot in the butt for two weeks straight, and I can't sit down, like any relief suggestions, (laughs) like any, anything that, and so many suggestions, you know, ended up getting some numbing cream off of Amazon. And then I would ice it 10 minutes before he would do it. And then I didn't feel it anymore. (laughs) Well, that helps. So like, just, um, you know, massage and heating pad afterwards, just and that's just one example. But so many just logistical questions just hey this is not fun or this is what's happening anybody have a suggestion to make it go away or hey my transfer is tomorrow morning and I can't sleep um, types of things so I'm very thankful for them and we don't really talk in the group anymore just because we're not in that same space anymore we don't know each other outside of that one area There's not a whole lot to talk about, but like every now and then one of us will post something and just, you know, still very supportive and so thankful to have them. That's awesome.
1: And I think it's, it speaks to the fact too, that like you can have people in your life for a season that are so important and valuable to you. And then in another season, you know, they're not and that's okay.
0: Right. And social media has such a negative, you know, Outlook out there for a lot of people. But in my case, and in this particular case, like it was not these people who have no life and no social life just talking to each other on Facebook. Like it was a community that I wasn't gonna walk down the aisle at the grocery store and hey, you struggling with infertility? Like, can we be friends? Right. It was just a way to connect with people and it didn't matter what part of the country we lived in i'm to be honest not even sure everyone lived in the united states i feel like one girl lived in canada maybe but it was just a way to connect with those people that you don't just walk around with a sign on your back right where that would be fantastic in some weird way but <laughs> like you sometimes don't know how to find those people of and you course. don't know and people who want to be open on their personal social media that they are currently struggling with infertility like that is fantastic and they probably make connections that way and i think that that's great for us that wasn't where we were and right. that wasn't how i was going to find my people no, you that, know? that makes total sense um and so so tell me what happens next okay so we're february of 2020 and march of 2020 the world shuts down Um, all elective procedures are put on hold. Like you can't have any type of medical procedure that's not considered necessary. Um, I will not get on my soapbox about how that was considered elective and not necessary, but it was. Um, So essentially my doctor's office was not allowed to be open. They could monitor people already pregnant. They could monitor people pregnant who may be having issues, but they could not move forward getting People pregnant. So we took a couple months off, no medication. We couldn't, we didn't leave the house. I was teaching virtually. My experience in that was that was the best gift from God that my household has ever experienced. We enjoyed our son, who was four at the time. We ran around the neighborhood. We played. I was not on anything making me feel emotional or angry or sad or all of the things. I was sleeping fine. I wasn't overly tired on some days and, you know, wide awake on others. Like we were just at home and enjoying our kid. And it, I mean, it was frustrating in the moment, but like, it was so nice to hit that pause button, you know, and most of you who at least lived in our area, we had the best spring weather that year. Yeah, it was great. And so, I felt great. I was able to like work out the way I wanted to, and it just was fantastic. May rolls around, and they are able to open their office back up. and so we are able to do a transfer. We always opted to just transfer one embryo. Um, we never transferred multiples. Um so we go in the office, you know, we, do what we need to do to get me where I need to be and transfer the one embryo. And then, as before, I took pregnancy tests at home. You know, I went in for my blood work, and I knew I was pregnant. And I knew that it was not a chemical because the tests were very positive. And so, you know, she did my blood work. My nurse called me, and the same nurse follows you. So while they have to deliver devastating news... My nurse got to call me and say, Hey, your numbers are fantastic. And so they did the blood work every 48 hours and they do that three or four times. So for basically a week. And they want that number to double. Mine was like tripling and quadrupling. And I kept asking her, I was like, Okay, like, I don't feel like this is normal. And she was like, No, it just does that with some people. And I'm like, Okay, well, I don't really feel like this is normal, but okay, <laughs> um, this is your job. But instinct, gut, mother's intuition, whatever you want to call it, like, because it's still, I felt great. I yeah. wasn't early enough. I wasn't far enough along in my pregnancy to not feel fine. So it wasn't that I was sick or anything like that. I just was like, this does not make sense. After several of those blood works, you know, they bring you in, they do an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time it's before six weeks, so there's no heartbeat or anything, but they just check, you know, and monitor you. And so she's like looking around and my husband is sitting in the room watching the screen and he said, what is that? And like pointed on the screen, nurse had noticed nothing. And she was like, oh, you have twins. (laughs)
1: All right, mama. So we're going to stop here and continue Allison's story next week. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something from it or took something positive away from it. Again, I know that this is a sensitive subject, but I think it's one that we all need to discuss more and hear about more because it is such a common thing that happens in our world, in the people around us, in in our own lives. And for those that are not familiar with this, It gives you an opportunity to understand just a little bit more. And I think that that is how we build connection is just by trying to better understand one another, having empathy for each other. And also, if you're struggling with this, knowing that you are not alone. And so you are in my thoughts, my prayers. And with that, I hope you will tune in next week to hear part two of Allison's story. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Successful Mama Podcast. For more information, head on over to SuccessfulMamaPodcast.com where you can find show notes and all the links mentioned in today's episode. Tap that share button and remember to tag at Successful Mama Podcast. And make sure to go leave a review. It really does help. A special thanks to Will Carruthers. Until next time, remember Mama, success looks more than one way and it's up to you to define it.